The following sermon is from Four Mile Creek Baptist Church in Moss Point, Mississippi. It is our prayer that you encounter Jesus during this message and that you be transformed by His truth. To learn more about Four Mile Creek, visit us online at fourmilecreek.org. In Acts chapter 6, we encounter the very first group of deacons. And why are we talking about deacons today? Well, we're talking about deacons because we're in a deacon nomination process. And this is the first time in a long time, as I understand it, that we have had a proper nomination and selection period of deacons. And so we really need to go back to the instruction manual. We really need to go back to that which is required of deacons. A lot of times what we want to do, what we like to do, is we like to, I forgot something on my pew, I'm not walking to make a point, I'm walking to get something. We often, what we often do, thanks, what we often do is we want to try and create something from scratch without ever going to the one who designed the office of deacon. And so what's happened, especially not only in Baptist churches, but in churches writ large, is is that we we have a bunch of guys who may be exceptionally skilled in business or in medicine or uh, in law or whatever the case is, and maybe they have a successful business or maybe they're just a good morally upright guy, but they have no spiritual qualifications. In some instances, they're not even saved. And then we put them in the deacon office and we wonder why deacons don't always act like born-again believers or why they aren't acting like the servant leaders they're supposed to be. Well, when you put guys in a deacon office that have no idea what it means to be a servant leader or exactly what God has intended for their role to be, you get all sorts of things from that. And so deacons in some churches have a very bad rap. Deacons can make or break a pastor's ministry. Deacons can make and break a church. I know of one church, and to protect the name of the guilty, I won't call them by name, in which it's the chairman of the deacons that I'm convinced, and it's not this one, by the way, <laughs> but I am convinced that it's, it's the chairman of the deacons that is a massive roadblock and impediment for that church living on mission in their community. So deacons can make and break it. And we have a history in this church of good deacons. We do. And one of the things we're going to be doing with the new uh, deacon team moving forward is we're going to be uh, uh, structuring the deacon team into what it really was meant to be. When Pastor Walker authored years ago, some of you were here for that uh, in the days of Methuselah, but I uh, love you, but, uh, but, but Pastor Walker, when, when you read the governing documents that he, that he helped write, he had a pretty solid understanding of what deacons are supposed to do. And one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be honoring the faithfulness of the past, but also more importantly, honoring what God has intended for deacons. And so as we restructure and as we organize the deacons for effective ministry, that's what the new deacon team is going to be doing, but also organizing us as a church organizing us as a church uh, to support those deacons and encourage those deacons and to select the men that God has chosen for this office. 
right? We want to select those uh, from among our number whom God has identified already. So that's what we're looking at today. So in Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to deacons for the very first time. And this is what's going on. The church, it is blowing and going. God is working. People are being saved. All these things. Acts chapter 6, verse 1 In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, those arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. So what's that? What's going on? There's a daily distribution of food, and one group of widows is being overlooked. And so there's an issue there. You have us and a them mentality at play. And so this complaint arises. Verse 2, so the twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and they said it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word to wait on tables. Coincidentally that's exactly what deacon is. Deacons, uh, deacon in the Greek means table waiter. He is a waiter of tables. Uh, it would not be right for us to give up the preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men, underline this, seven men of what? Good reputation and full of the spirit and wisdom who we can appoint to this duty. So Luke, under inspiration of God the Holy Spirit, records the twelve apostles' requirements Initial requirements for what is required of deacons. They must be of good reputation and full of the Spirit and wisdom, who we can appoint to this duty. Other word, in other words, they must also be skilled administrators in this area, not skilled administrators writ large as many deacons have become, but rather skilled in this particular thing. Skilled in this particular thing. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Verse 5. And this proposal pleased the whole company. And so they selected from among themselves. So they chose, I'm sorry. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip. And they list five others. Verse 6. And they had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. First thing I want you to see is the necessity of deacons. The necessity of deacons. In an age where we have such an emphasis right now, especially in Southern Baptist life, upon pastor and elder, upon the the one whose job it is, whose calling it is to preach the word, there is almost a temptation to put on the back burner this office of deacon. But we cannot be a healthy church without healthy God-fearing deacons. We need deacons. You have to have them. Number one, Paul gives qualifications. There is an expectation that there will be deacons in the local church. But secondly, uh, there are no Lone Rangers in ministry. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. And deacons, essentially, at, at the end of the day, they help the pastor fulfill his calling by taking care of the things that would regularly detract from his responsibility as pastor. I didn't know much when I was a senior in high school, but I knew this. My pastor visited far too much in the hospital. He visited far too much. He had a group of 15 deacons that would not visit. 
He spent more time on the road than he spent in the office visiting hospitals. I mean, this was not, you know, drive 15 minutes down the street and you're at the hospital. This was drive 30 to 45 minutes to an hour and a half to visit somebody regularly. The deacons could have been a massive blessing to this man had they simply helped him in caring for the sick and the dying, for caring for the needy, and for helping meet physical, practical needs. Deacons are necessary for a healthy church. Not only do they help the pastor in fulfilling his calling, they also help uh, protect the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. There is a complaint here. I mean, look, look back at verse 1. The disciples were increasing in number, and there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. There, there's an issue here. This is an us versus them, and, and, and you have to remember that Christ has torn down, as Paul will say in, in, in the prison epistles, Christ has torn down this dividing wall of hostility, and two groups have become one, and yet these two differing groups who have now become one in Christ are not acting like one group. One group's worried about getting their own, and the other group's upset that they're not getting taken care of. There's a complaint here. It's a massive complaint. In the midst of all of this growth, here comes this complaint. That should give us a little bit of comfort, by the way, that whenever you begin to see movement toward godliness and obedience that the presence of issues is not necessarily the indication that you've done something wrong. With growth comes new challenges. With growth comes challenges you've never had to think about before. I guarantee you that, and I don't know this, I'm just making an assumption, that during the pandemic, um, the leadership here was not sitting around thinking about exactly how long it would take to disinfect the worship center between services. You could easily fit 125 people in here in social distance. The church I was at, we're over here having to figure out how can we quickly and effectively disinfect this entire campus between worship services. How do we get one group in, one group out, and as the first group is leaving, how do we disinfect to get the next group in? There are challenges there. With growth comes challenges you don't anticipate. We had people who were upset that we had uh, uh, people who maybe were of different walks of life or from different demographics, and they tried to make that known to church leadership. And you know what church leadership wouldn't have anything to do with? Their complaints. You need to go fix your heart. I can't fix it for you. With growth comes challenges and things that we've never considered. And in the midst of this, they have a challenge that they had not anticipated. Had they anticipated it, I don't think the challenge would have ever arose. But deacons were there to help pre preserve the unity, to help protect that. Which, by the way, means that if you're a man who's cantankerous, you are, you are not qualified to be a deacon. Now, I'm all for passionate debate. I'm all for passionate disagreement because that happens. If you've ever been a deacon, you know 
There's always a passion, almost always a passionate debate, especially on the bigger topics of discussion. But I'm talking about those who just stir things up. You, you can't be a deacon and be cantankerous for the sake of being cantankerous. You cannot be a bully who forces everybody to follow you. Deacons are necessary in promoting church health and church growth and helping care for the sick and the dying, for those who need uh, personal visits from church leadership and, and prayers and all those things. They are necessary for that. They're also necessary just from a personal thing. I'll just, I'll just take this as a, as a, as a, as a uh, personal point of privilege. Deacons are necessary for the encouragement of the pastor. They, they are necessary for the encouragement of the pastor. Any pastor who's done this for any length of time will tell you that it is the deacons who are often their best friends. Max Luter and Andy Dillon, two of my very best deacon friends when I was at Tallertown. Chad Luter became one of my best friends as time progressed. Here are the deacons, I'm glad to say, are friends of mine. Deacons are necessary. They help shoulder the burden. They help care for the sick and dying. They help do these things. Do you get the point? Deacons are necessary. I've said in just about every way I can think of to get it through. Don't ever think that deacons are not necessary. So deacons are necessary, but not just anybody can be a deacon. Not just anybody can be a deacon. Look back in Acts chapter 6, verse 3. Acts chapter 6, verse 3, Brothers and sisters, select from among, you, from among you seven men, underline this, of good reputation and full of the Spirit and wisdom who we can appoint to this duty. A good reputation. I, I never assume that you know what I'm talking about. I never assume you know what I'm talking about. So what do we mean when we say good reputation? Good reputation is this. Is his character consistent? Do people generally look upon him with favor? Do people see this man as one who is respectable? Is he consistent in his character from church and home and work? Or does he change based on where he's at? Uh, because I'm a political junkie, we would call that the consummate politician. Can he walk into a room and make that group of people think, and I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but it goes into this, and make them think that he's on their side? Walk into another room and make them think that he's on their side too? Does he have a good reputation? Is he trustworthy? In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen over great wealth, and favor is better than silver or gold. Does he have a good name? Is he reputable? Would you back, would you put your reputation on the line for him? That changes the ball game, doesn't it? Have you ever been asked to give a reference for somebody? And you didn't really, I mean, you didn't want to tell the potential employer, I don't think very highly of this guy, but you didn't want to tell him you thought highly of him anyway? Never done that? That's hard. Are you willing to put your reputation on the line? He must be full of the Spirit. Let me translate that. He has to be saved. He has to be saved. You cannot be full of the Spirit if you are not saved. You must also not only be saved, you must be continually yielding to the leadership of God, the Holy Spirit. 
So many people want to act like God, the Holy Spirit, isn't even involved in the equation. You must be a man who yields to the leadership of God, the Holy Spirit. Which might mean that sometimes you have to chart a new course. You have to backtrack. You have to humble yourself. Maybe you have sinned against another. Maybe you have said or done something you shouldn't have said or done, and you have to kill the pride and go and seek to reconcile and win that brother or sister back. And by the way, before I get too far into this, all of these things we're talking about deacons and their responsibilities and their qualifications and, 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 and all of these things, it's not just for deacons. It's also for you and me. God cares very much about who his people are, not just about what they do. These are character qualities. He has to be full of wisdom. Does he know how to appropriately apply knowledge to a situation? By the way, part of applying wisdom is also knowing when to ask God for it. James tells us in James chapter 1 that we should ask the Lord for wisdom when we need it because he gives generously and without uh, grudging. We should be uh, full of wisdom to such a degree that we know when to ask for wisdom. I call quite a few people regularly. I've got this situation. What do you think about it? Here's everything I understand. What wisdom do you have? I don't ask anybody for advice. I stopped that a long time ago. Everybody's got advice. Advice is like belly button. Everybody's got one. Very few people can give you biblical wisdom. Does he have a good reputation? Is he full of the Spirit? Is he full of wisdom? By the way, if he's full of the Spirit, he will be a wise man. If you are full of the Spirit, you will be wise. You will be wise. Now in 1 Timothy, Paul gives us a list of qualifications. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Here's what Paul says. Deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect. And underline these qualifications as we go through them. They should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money. They should, verse 9, hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They must also be tested first, and if they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. If they're married, Paul says, that wives, too, must be worthy of respect, not slanderers, self-controlled, faithful in everything. Can I just tell you something? A lot of churches only look at the man and never look at the wife. And I've known some women who were deacons' wives who were a trip to work with. And one of the things that the deacon body and I have resolved to do is that next week when we're looking at men, we're also looking at the wife. Because God cares, men, if you're married, about what goes on in your household. He cares about that. So wives, verse 11, worthy of respect, not slanderers. They should be self-controlled, faithful in everything. Deacons are to be a husband of one wife. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Managing their children and their own household competently. They should manage their own household and their children competently. You don't, need an, you don't need a man who can't even competently manage his household be in leadership at a church. That is a recipe for disaster. 
He should be uh, competently managing his uh, children and his own household. For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So what do these things mean? He, he gives a list of these qualifications and what's going on. By the way, in our qualification of deacons, among other things, such as affirming basic doctrine, such as uh, meeting an age requirement, being a supporter both in word and deed and, and in the tithe as well. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that toward the end of the sermon. I'm going to walk through these things, which is why I picked up the deacon nomination packet. They have to be people who are found faithful. So these qualifications here. He says he should be worthy of respect. That is similar to being a man who, is, uh, who has a good reputation. He is worthy of respect. He is worthy of respect in his business, in his marriage. Let me tell you something, man. Your wives should respect you. They should respect you first because you are their husband. But secondly, they should also respect you because it is an easy job to respect you. Meaning that your character is consistent and it reflects a life transformed by the gospel. They should be eager to respect you. But it's kind of hard to demand respect of your wife when you aren't very respectable. You should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical. You need to say what you mean and mean what you say. Pastor Justin Knight would tell me and the rest of us on staff, I don't know what you mean, I only know what you say. I said it this morning in staff meeting as we were discussing the book we've been going through. I don't know what the author meant. I only know what he says. Matthew 5.37, Jesus says, let your yes mean yes, your no mean no. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Be a person of integrity. David says in Psalm 51 that surely God desires integrity in the inner self. Be a person of integrity. By the way, being a person of integrity means following through what you say you're going to do, and it means being open to learning new things and new ways. Don't be hypocritical. Not drinking a lot of wine. This is not a prohibition against consuming alcohol. This is not a prohibition against consuming alcohol. It is, however, a prohibition against being given to drunkenness. And I'm not going to have this big debate about, well, you know, we should ordain, we shouldn't ordain men who ever drink a sip of alcohol or whatever. Here's what I will tell you, men. If you drink alcohol and you're given to drunkenness, you're not fit to be a deacon. And one of the ways that we'll be vetting you out of the questionnaire, and by the way, we'll be calling you next Sunday if you get nominated. Uh, we're going to be asking you a series of questions. One of them is this, do you drink alcohol? You can say yes to that, and that's not disqualifying, but we've got two more questions. The second question is this, are you given to drunkenness? Yes or no? You know what the third question is? Would your wife agree to your previous answer? Because we're going to talk to your wife too. And if you're given to drunkenness, you're, you're not qualified. It isn't a prohibition against drinking because if it was, Paul contradicted himself over in chapter 5, verse 23 of 1 Timothy. He's speaking to Timothy and he tells Timothy this, he says, don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. This is not a prohibition against drinking. It is a prohibition against being drunk. 
Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be filled with the Spirit, which leads to reckless living, but be filled, I'm sorry, do not be fi- you should be filled with the Spirit. Do not be filled with wine. Do not be filled with wine, which leads to reckless living, but instead be filled with the Spirit. The implication of that is if you're filled with the Spirit, you will not live recklessly. You will live a life of abundance. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Do not be one who drinks a lot of wine. Not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. Nickels and noses, friends. Nickels and noses. Those are the two things leaders in the church have to concern themselves with. Where's our money and how's it being spent? And how's our people doing? When we spend money here, we want to be able to say we're spending it wisely. We cannot make decisions that will benefit us financially or in comfort or in reputation. In Luke chapter 12, and it did not make it on the slide because it got added after the fact. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is speaking, and he says this in verse 25. He says uh, this. I'm sorry, verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 15. <clears throat> Watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus will ask in Mark 8:36, what does it profit someone if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Do not be greedy. Do not be greedy. Do not seek to make decisions that will benefit you or your loved ones or someone else financially or in reputation or in comfort. Part of being a leader is that you're going to have to sacrifice. Part of being a disciple is that you're going to have to sacrifice. You also have to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Do you <clears throat> I was working with that work day yesterday, and that insulation is still messing with me. Do you hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience? Paul says at the end of his life, he says, I know in whom I've believed. And I'm confident he's able to hold me fast. You have to hold the mystery of the faith in a clear conscience. Do you believe, for instance, that the Bible is indeed authoritative, that it is inspired and infallible, that we can trust the Bible, that it has given us everything we need to know about who God is and what it means to be saved? Do you believe in what God says about marriage, about sexuality, about money? Do you believe that the Bible is true and trustworthy. I'm placing such an emphasis there because if you don't believe that the Bible is true and trustworthy, I can trust you as far as I can throw you at that point. If you'll discount the Bible, it doesn't matter what other doctrine you claim to hold to. If the Bible is not supreme in your life and in your mind and in your heart, it really doesn't matter what else you believe. The Bible is what tethers you to reality. You can weather any storm of life so long as you are tethered to the Word of God. A lot of people try to weather it without it, and it doesn't go well for them. Dr. Phil would ask, how is that working out for you? You have to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Your theology will be lived out. Which theological conviction are you living out? What theological conviction are you living out? I can tell what you believe about the local church, for instance, in your attendance or lack thereof. I can tell what you believe 
about the trustworthiness of God in all areas of your life if you will just show me your checkbook ledger. I can tell you what you believe. You will live out your theology. And you can put up a good facade, but you cannot fool God. You cannot fool God. You must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You must be tested and blameless. This is over a period of time. This is why Paul says, don't be quick to ordain a new believer. Don't be quick to commission him to ministry. Listen, you know, we, we, we do ordination councils for men who are selected to deacon service and, and, and to, uh, gospel ministry. Really, at the end of the day, that, that's really just a formality. The ordination council's been going on whether or not you realized it. I mean, my ordination council was easy peasy, and I asked my pastor why, and he said, well, we've been watching you for the last year and a half. We've already tested you. We've already tested your theology. We've tested your character. We've tested these things. And so this is a formality. It's a time of encouragement. It's all these things. But they must be tested. They must prove blameless. Will an accusation stick against this brother? Will an accusation stick against his family? If he's married, his wife should be worthy of respect. Paul's very concerned about how Christians are perceived. If you're not worthy of respect... You have some confessing to do and some repentance to do. You should be one who is respectable, who has a good reputation. If the world's going to hate you, don't give them ammunition to hate you with. Be faithful to God. That's all the ammunition they need. If you're going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, it needs to be for righteousness' sake. Not because you went and did something stupid. I took a group of kids to camp one time. And they said, we wrote a song to explain to you the rules of this camp. And we're going to teach it to you. And so sure enough, this band stood up and they sung a song. You know what it was called? Don't be dumb. That was the rule of the camp. Don't be dumb. We sung that for five minutes. If you just don't be dumb, you're going to be okay. You have to be tested and blameless. Why should be worthy of respect? They should not be slanderers. Literally, they should not be diabolic. They do not need to be people who engage in gossip, sowing seeds of dissension or discord. They do not need to be pot stirrers. They need to be women who are respectable, women that are trustworthy, women that are gentle and compassionate. Hey, go read Proverbs 31. A deacon's wife should embody that. Deacon's wife should embody that. She should be self-controlled in thought, word, and deed. Is she a loose cannon? I've been in deacon's meetings before where the deacon's wives had the deacons pumped and primed for that deacon's meeting. And then when the deacons find out what's actually going on, they look like the fool. Are they a loose cannon? Ladies, if you're married to a fellow who's up for deacon consideration... We care very much about your character as well. We care very much about that. Because God cares. God cares. Are you faithful in everything? Deacons' wives must also be saved. She must have a credible testimony of faith. She must have a credible testimony of faith. We will not ordain a man to deacon ministry whose wife is not saved and is faithful in all things. Why 
Because Paul says she must be worthy of respect, not a slanderer. She must be self-controlled and she must be faithful in everything. How can you be faithful in everything if you have not met the one who enables and empowers you to be faithful in everything? You must be faithful in everything, ladies, for your husband to be considered. The man must also be, Paul says over in uh, 1 Timothy, let's go back there because I've just been going off of my notes here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, he must be a husband of one wife. Now let me say this before we go any further. I'm not going to bind anybody's conscience today. Number one, for me to bind your conscience, knowing where I'm at on this subject, is hypocritical of me, and I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to bind my own conscience to a position that I don't agree with. Here's what I will say. Regardless of where you fall on this issue, there are faithful people on both sides of the aisle. This is not a matter for heated discussion. This is not a matter for division. This is not a matter for anything of the sort. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I'm not going to entertain any division or any heated argument over this topic, nor with the leaders of this church. I love you, but I'm just saying that very clearly up front. Because in some churches, what I'm about to say is fighting words for people. And we're not going to have that here. We're going to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. So what is husband of one wife not? What is it not? Well, it does not mean that deacons must be married. If that were the case, Paul and Jesus could not have been a deacon. And I don't think anybody in this room holds uh, to that belief that Paul and Jesus was not deacon material. If anything, <laughs> if anything, they set the example. What does Paul say to the Corinthians? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So it does not mean that he must be married. It does not mean that he must have one wife for life. If that were the case, a widower who has remarried could not be a deacon. It cannot mean that. Plus, if Paul would have meant that you couldn't be divorced, he knew the term for divorce. He used it quite a bit in the Corinthian correspondence. So I think a better interpretation of this, a better understanding of this, interpretation was the wrong word there, so forgive me for using that. I should not have used the word interpretation. A better understanding of this is a one-woman man is the fellow faithful to his wife today. If he's been divorced before, what were the circumstances of, those, of that divorce? Jesus permits it in the case of adultery. Paul, some argue, permits it in the case of abandonment. In my estimation and in my judgment, if a man who is up for deacon consideration was divorced decades ago and it was his wife who was unfaithful and he wasn't unfaithful and now he's married today and he's been faithful since then, okay. It's a case-by-case -case thing. It's called biblical ethics. Past failure does not necessarily negate future purpose. In some cases it does depending on the nature of the offense, but not always. A man who is a philanderer and a known philanderer, but has been married to his wife faithfully. Some would say, well, he's still deacon material. No, he's not. He's a philanderer. He's an adulterer. 
Well, but we haven't been able to prove that. Well, that's funny because everybody down at the barber shop and hair salon happens to know that he is. What do you mean we don't know? And by the way, you think I'm joking. Do you not think that's happened in churches before? That's not a hyperbolic scenario. That's happened. It's a case-by-case thing. Now, there are some men who have a series of divorces with no good cause. Well, now, now we see a pattern here. This isn't a one bad decision. This is a series of bad decisions. I don't know if you're a man of wisdom. And by the way, let me say this. Let, let, I, I didn't intend to say this. This is free. If you're engaged to be married to someone, let me tell you what an engagement is not. It is not marriage. It is not marriage. Nothing is making you walk down that aisle at the church to get married. You can get that ring back, man, and go sell it at the pawn shop and recoup some of your money. Now, once you say, I do, and both of you have made a covenant before God, and you've given each other your rings, and you've made your vows, okay. We need to talk about the terms of that divorce. But let me tell you something. Broken engagements are a lot more common than people know. And it takes far more courage to say, I don't need to be in this, than it does to walk down that aisle. They are so common, and it's a weird thing. It's like an unspoken rule. You're not supposed to speak of broken engagements until you know somebody who has a broken engagement. And then it's like this unspoken rule that everybody who's had a broken engagement before comes out of the woodwork real secretly and goes to that person and says, can I take you to lunch? Can I take you to coffee? Can I talk to you about this? Because I had a broken engagement. And it's like, well, that would have been helpful to know beforehand because I thought I was the oddball out. Coincidentally, that happened in my life. I'm speaking from experience. But I, I, I made this estimation. It is more important for me to act in accordance with my conscience and what I believe to be God's desire and purpose for my life And that means that this marriage that I am on the train track to be involved with is not what God wants for me. So Lord, I want to be obedient to you. This is going to be painful. It's going to be painful for everybody involved, but I want to be obedient to you. So God, I'm going to do that. And I did. And let me tell you something. What God gave me is far better than anything I could have imagined. And I am so thankful that he did that. So why do I say that? Because I know a lot of men who are qualified in my estimation, based on what I know about them, for deacon service, who when they were 18 or 19 years old, got engaged, and they they will tell you I should have never been involved in that engagement. But I was too afraid to break it off. And I went through with it. 
And generally, in many of those instances, what happens is that the wife ended up being unfaithful. And she broke the covenant, not him. So why do I say that? Number one, we should lift up marriage. And I didn't intend to say any of this about the marriage and engagement thing, but while we're here, we should lift up marriage. We should encourage married, uh, couples engaged to be married. But we should also be willing to have very hard and difficult conversations about, I don't think this is the best decision for you in your life. Now, I can't make it for you, but I would encourage you to go before the Lord and to ask him what he would have you to do. It was a Friday evening, by the way, in which I became confident of what God wanted me to do. So men, ladies, don't bring future headache and heartache upon yourself by following through with an engagement you know you don't need to be in. It is more common than you think. Now, let me get off that little soapbox because there's just not a good way to transition away from that. But while we were talking about marriage, I just want to go ahead and say that. He has to be a one-woman man. Not only that, he must manage his household and his children well. Which, by the way, I mentioned earlier, if there's a series of divorces in this man's life, he's obviously not managing his household well, and that's evident. Therefore, if he's not a good father, if he has kids, if he's not a good husband, if he is married, he cannot be involved in deacon leadership. By the way, this is not a fatal thing if he is not currently a good and competent manager of his children, wife, and household. We can disciple him up. We can grow him up in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord by the grace of God. We can do that. These things are not fatal. But he has to be willing to have that. He has to be willing to grow up in the Lord. All these things, by the way, all these things apply to all of us. So you have the qualifications of deacons. Boy, that took a long time, didn't it? Are you with me? Let's speed up buttercups. There's the responsibility of deacons. There's the responsibilities of deacons. Back in Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 5, you'll remember there's a conflict. There's a complaint that arises between these groups. And uh, the deacons come in and the apostles say it's not right for us to give up preaching of the word of God, to wait on tables. In other words, the deacons are there to help navigate conflict. Go ask our current deacons now. We navigate conflict, it seems like, almost every meeting, doesn't it, Pat? It seems like we're always talking with one another. Well, there's this issue here. How do we do this? How do we do it uh, to the benefit of all involved? How do we do it seasoned with salt and full of grace? How do we uh, navigate this conflict? How do we preserve and pursue unity? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. If God the Holy Spirit indwells you, you've received a calling. Live worthy of it. How do you live worthy of the calling? With all humility and gentleness, Paul says, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort. It's going to cost you something. It will cost you time, energy, effort, money, uh, 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 emotions, tears, cried, all of it, to make every effort to pursue the unity of the Spirit through the bonds of peace. Deacons also help care for souls. I told you we're speeding it up. Buckle up. 
They also help care for souls, both inside the church. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 2. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching of the Word of God to wait on tables. It would not be right for us to give up preaching of the Word in order to address this issue that's going to require a consistent oversight to help meet a physical need within the church. Deacons help meet uh, help care for souls within the church and outside of the church. When we were going through the book of Acts, we talked about Philip in Samaria. We talked about th- this deacon Philip, the same one that was selected here among the seven. He goes out and he's ministering. In Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, this is what the Bible says. So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Messiah to them. And the crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said. And as they listened and saw the signs he was performing, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. Philip's going. He's preaching. By the way, he's holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So when he's able to speak the gospel into the lives of people, he's able to do that accurately and effectively. If you don't hold the mystery of the faith in a clear conscience, it's kind of hard to tell others how to hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience themselves. Isn't it amazing how it's all connected? And Philip goes and he's obedient and he's serving. He has a responsibility to not only care for souls within the church, but outside of the church. Now that does not mean that we need to get together every morning of the week and we need to go prayer walking through the neighborhood knocking on doors. First off, don't come knocking on my door at 6 a.m. That's no bueno. However, one of the practical ways deacons can do this today is as you go to the store, seek to make a connection with somebody. In your business, seek to be faithful. In your business, how are you encouraging others in the midst of this? Go and care for the needs. Help the pastor in his ministry. Acts chapter 6 verse 4, the apostles say, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why are they able to devote themselves to this? Because the deacons are taking care of meeting the needs of these groups of widows. There is also the reward for deacons. In 1 Timothy 3, 13, Paul says, For those who have served well as deacons acquire a good standing for themselves and great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. They acquire two things. They acquire first a good standing for themselves and then secondly, great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. A good standing for themselves is not a salvific standing. They already have that if they have the Spirit of God in them. What it is, however, is it is the favor that comes by being found faithful. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 12 in which he talks about these servants who are at work and they are found to be at work when the master comes back. He says this in verse 43 of Luke 12, Blessed is that servant who the master finds doing his job when he comes. Deacons are to be hard workers. They're to be hard workers both physically and spiritually, because they will acquire for themselves a good standing. They will find favor with the Lord for their sacrifice and for their reward. They will also find great boldness. They will acquire for themselves great boldness in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, We've been reading a book in staff, Everybody Matters, and uh, it's talking about stewardship of the body. And uh, we've committed, we're going to go to the gym every morning at 4.30. You remember that, Mike? We didn't commit that. We didn't commit anything like that. Commit to anything like that. Uh, 
But faith is a lot like a muscle. It gets stronger the more you work it. One of the things that deacons find is that the more they serve obediently, the more that they care for others, the more that they pray with others, and they see God answering those prayers, their faith is strengthened. Their faith is encouraged. They're grown up in grace. They're grown up in the knowledge of the Lord. It's a good thing to be a deacon. There's a great reward for that. However, not just anybody can be a deacon. Some people have disqualified themselves. Some people have not taking care of themselves to such a degree they can't do it anymore. And the temptation whenever there's a sermon preached on deacons is for everybody that listens to think that this only applies to the men in the church, and it doesn't. It doesn't. It applies to every single one of us. Can I ask you, Christian, are you worthy of respect? Are you full of the Spirit? Are you full of wisdom? Are you given to drunkenness? Are you given to sexual immorality? Are you given to being a pot stirrer in the church? Are you given to being a gossiper and a slanderer? Are you given to being diabolic is what Paul would ask. Are you faithful to your spouse in word and deed? Are you faithful to your church? You know, one of the things that we require of deacons, one of the responsibilities, and by the way, if you're not doing this currently, it doesn't matter if you're nominated because you won't appear on the selection sheet. I love you, but it is what it is. You have to be, one of the responsibilities, is a consistent, regular, and faithful supporter of the church through tithing. And so, once we get those uh, nomination forms in, I'm going to call Miss Charlotte. Is Billy Bob a tither, regular, faithful, and consistent? Are you faithful in attendance to Sunday school and small groups? How, how can you grow with this church if you're not involved more than just in this hour? We only get on the surface, and here you go deep in Sunday school and in small group. Do you faithfully seek to relieve and encourage and develop others who are in need? Do you faithfully support myself and the other church leaders in both word and deed? Or do you say one thing to our face and do another? By the way, it almost always gets back to church leadership if you're one of those people. It almost always gets back. There are responsibilities here. There are qualifications here. And it's not only for deacons. We should all endeavor to be people like this. We should be a respectable people, a people of good reputation where no accusation can stand. We should be people who are faithful to righteousness and to the king of righteousness. We should be faithful because God has called us to be faithful. So men, whether you're 14 or 94, yes, by all means, this sermon is for you. Maybe you, have, maybe you don't believe yourself to be qualified. I respect your decision. Maybe we would disagree about why you think you're not qualified, but I agree with you. I agree with your decision. I respect your decision. Well, I may not agree with it, but I respect it. 
But just because you have fallen in one area does not mean that you cannot seek to be faithful in others and even in that area moving forward. God's grace is new every morning. Christian, you need to be faithful in all things. This sermon is not just for deacons. Don't think it is. It's for you too. It's for me. And if you're an unbeliever, well, you can't do any of these things because you don't even hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. You've never recognized that you're a sinner and that you need Christ. You've never recognized that your sin is abhorrent to Him, that it separates you from Him, that you are on the highway to hell, that you will spend eternity somewhere. And without Christ, you will spend it in hell. And the Bible says that it is simple faith, that it is belief in the one and only Son of God that saves a soul. Paul says that if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. Have you done that? As our praise team comes, I want to challenge you to do a few things. Number one, the altar is open and you are more than welcome to come and pray. Maybe I have touched on some things that make you feel really uncomfortable and you think that uh, all hope is lost for you. Will you confess your sin to the Lord and repent of it today? Will you let God wash you white and make you clean? Christian, will you commit to following Jesus more faithfully today? And men, if you aspire to be a deacon, that is a good thing. But if you recognize that you're not meeting some of these responsibilities and qualifications already, and maybe this year isn't your year to be considered, okay. Will you commit to working toward greater holiness as we move forward? Greater involvement, greater commitment, greater surrender to the Lord Jesus. Will you stand and pray with me? God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for deacons who have blessed us and encouraged us in so many ways. God, I pray that you would help us each to be people who are respectable, who are people of good reputations, who are people uh, that can say with a clear conscience, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Father, as we move forward to deacon nomination next Sunday, I pray, God, that you would help us see the men whom you have chosen to serve as deacons in this church. Lord, if there's things in some of these men's lives, in any of our lives, in which we are not up to par, will you please put your finger on it and begin to apply pressure? Make us uncomfortable so that in our uncomfortableness, we might turn to the source of comfort and be made whole and deal with the things that shouldn't be. God, we love you and we thank you for all these things in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for choosing the podcast of Four Mile Creek Baptist Church. To learn how to have a relationship with Jesus, simply click the Jesus tab on our website at fourmilecreek.org. Until next week, may you continue to follow Jesus and make him known in the everyday stuff of life.